0: Hi everyone it's Jo Sparrow here. Today's guest is an adoptee born in the late 60s under the closed adoption system and a cloud of secrecy. Tracy Shand researched for and reunited with her mother and sister at the age of 24, finding the relationships complex to maintain over time. At the age of 45 she did a commercial DNA test to find her father and three years later she had some success. Tracy is sharing her personal story with us today and how her experiences are leading her down a path of researching adoption as part of her psychology honours degree. She joins us today from Launceston in Tasmania. Tassie is one of my favourite places in the world. Welcome to Adopt Perspective, Tracy. I'm so happy to have you join me.
1: Hi, Joe. Thanks so much for having me today and giving me the opportunity to share my story.
0: Oh, it's great to have you. Um, Tracy I was thinking that we could um, start if by me asking you if you could share us with us what you know about your birth and subsequent adoption
1: okay so the first memory or one of the very first memories I I have um, was of my mother sitting me down on the edge of her uh, big double bed in her room my father was at work and she said you know you know your father and I love you very much and just wanted to tell you that um you're adopted and what adoption means is that your parents your mother couldn't keep you because of various reasons going on in her life and we wanted children and I couldn't have children and so um we went down to the hospital and we chose you special but I just wanted to let you know um however we want everyone to to think that you're our child and so please don't tell anybody um it's between oh you and me <laughs> but um yeah we just wanted to let you know so I was around three or four I was very young um, at the time and I obviously maybe she read a book that said yeah if you're an adoptive parent you know you should tell the child and they felt they needed to do it and the pressure of of when, you know, maybe got too much, or she thought, when well, I was off to school soon, and so, you know, and she did do the right thing by me by telling me, but, and I understand why they might have liked to have kept it a secret as well, and, and everyone to think that I was their child, I, I looked more like my father than my mother, she was blonde hair, blue eyed, my father was tall, brown hair, brown eyes, I could easily pass as, you know, their child, and and so um, there was that dichotomy there. And so I was handed this secret at the age of four with no one to talk to. Um, everyone in the family knew about it. I spoke with my cousin just a couple of weeks ago. We, we actually uh, did a ceremony for my adoptive father who passed away. Both my adoptive parents have passed away now. And I said, you knew I was adopted, didn't you? He goes, yeah. We never talked about it, did we? No. <laughs> and so, so I think that you know I love my adoptive parents to bits. They were they were fantastic for me, and but I think they made a, a slight mistake by not being open. They also tried to adopt a boy um, a couple of years later. I found all this out since you know um, I found my parents and all of that. I started to talk to them about it. Um, but they were rejected because they were too old, too old. My my mother was 39 and my father was um, 42 when they um, brought me in, and so they tried again, and they were just they were too old, and and we were getting towards 70s, we were already in the 70s, and there were less babies available, and so I was also raised an only child um, of English parents who had immigrated with no family, um, and the only family was in Adelaide and uh they were jehovah's witnesses and so not that there's anything wrong with that but my dad was an atheist (laughs) and so i think go over there he was a twin who's an identical twin they get into an argument after a couple of days couldn't stand each other right we're going home so that was my limit of family and i think you know that even though i was extremely close to my mother growing up she was my best friend she was my confidant You know, there was still a lot missing at that time growing up. There was a secret I was carrying. I felt alone and um, I didn't have much family. So I I always grew up sort of craving family. And I, you know, even though I loved my parents, there was so many things that was happening in me that was very different to the type of people that they were. And so, yeah, that's just a little bit of the early years.
0: (laughs) Do you have any um, recollection of what how you interpreted as a young child the fact that it was a secret what what that meant like what did that mean to you why do you think? Um, It made me feel different
1: it made me feel like shy it made me afraid of people Um, you know my father was also like oh I'll be careful of you know, dirty old man. You know, he was very careful about me being safe because I was so precious to them, and there was this huge like, oh, be careful, be careful, and so all of that sort of came together to make me feel afraid of people. And so I remember my first year at school, I made no friends, absolutely no friends. I would walk around on in the school yard by myself. Finally, I broke through and got some friends. That's great. And then the same thing happened when I changed schools for high school, first year no friends, couldn't make any connections with anybody. And so, and, and there's a secret I'm carrying. And so I was mindful of it. I grew up thinking, oh, I wonder where my mother is, what does she look like, you know. And I also thought about my father as well. Um, you know, what was he like? Because my relationship with my with my adoptive father was not great. It was not close. He was he had trauma himself he was brought up in an orphanage in England during the war and so it was quite dysfunctional and so for me actually finding a father was probably the bigger driver almost than finding my mother although my mother was the doorway into finding information about myself and everything and yeah so that was me growing up
0: yeah yeah um what led you to end up searching for your mother so
1: got through school, got into uni, um, and you know, like even trying to choose what subjects to do. I, I loved acting, and um, so I applied for the acting college here in Melbourne. Didn't get in, so they said go to uni, and so I, I got my best marks in science, and so I did a science degree at Melbourne Uni. Just to buy the time until I could become an actress um <laughs> but then I got through that and at uni I I got involved with a Christian group my mother had also um gone to the Anglican church and become a Christian in my final year of school and so when I got to uni because I didn't really want to study I I got involved with a Christian group and there I I met uh my husband um today who I'm married to today we've been married 31 years and um so I knew I, marriage and family was something I really, really wanted because I had no family growing up. And so um, so I, got, I said to all my friends from school, I'll get married when I'm 30. But I ended up getting married at the age of 22, which was very young, on my 22nd birthday. Um, and I knew I wanted to start a family. And so it was that was in the background. But the big prompter was I was driving one day to uni and I was listening to our radio station in Melbourne, 3AW. And they were having an interview, I think Jigsaw used to be in Melbourne as well, but I'm not sure, but it was some sort of adoption support agency, which now is Spanish. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were interviewing this person, talking about how you could find your mother now, birth records were opened. And I just had that feeling, okay, I'm about to start my family. I need to know about who I am. At that point, I felt nothing... Traumatic at all about my adoption experience. I hadn't really reflected on the secret keeping or anything, and so it's like I had a fantastic adoption. So I'll just find out to know where I came from. That was my only motivation: with genetic information. And so I applied. To, I think it was birth, death, and marriage. So I'm not sure the system because it was so long ago. I met a social worker. They showed me the records, and and there was a name, and there was my name. Uh, I was given a different name at birth, which it's not something I had ever, I had ever comprehended and the name of my mother, which fortunately was quite an unusual name. And so uh, the social worker council me, you can go to the state library, you can look up electoral rolls to try and find who she is, try and find her marriage certificate if you can. And then that's the way that you will be led. But that was it. That was the only support. There was no like, we're going to have a follow up. We're going to coach you with it. Like I'm sure Jigsaw does. And I know that Banish does um, in Melbourne as well. That was it. That was my only support. So I went down to the state library, looked her name up, found she'd moved to Sydney and applied for a marriage certificate. And it was clear. She got married literally two and a half years after she uh, gave me up and uh. And uh, I wrote to her. So in those days, no email. It was all done by. It was a lot harder, wasn't wasn't it? (laughs) A lot harder. No help, support. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm sure Jigsaw and Vanish, you know, they help you now, write those letters.
0: Well, and I I mean, there was peer support available back then too, but um, at the time when all those records opened up, they were overwhelmed. All organisations and the government were all overwhelmed. So it was pretty hard to get.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, but look, um, I wrote that letter with the guides they gave me and I got a phone call a couple of days later and it was from her current boyfriend saying, you're looking for mum, are you? And I said yes. And so um, I didn't talk to her on the phone. I talked to him, but we set up a time for her to fly to Melbourne because she's in Sydney and uh, we had a meeting. And uh, I-
0: how, how quickly did this all happen? So from fairly the time... Quickly. Yeah, I'm getting that impression that it all just moved very quick. How did you feel about it moving so quick at the time? Great. <laughs> you are happy with that? Yeah, it wasn't was really happy because
1: <laughs> I was actually leaving to go to Thailand. My mm-hmm. husband and I were leaving to go to Thailand to work as missionaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt like I had this small window of opportunity before I was leaving. On reflection, I came to my mother and I said, here I am. I'm leaving. I'm going to <laughs> Thailand. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea as a young 24-year-old of how I was going to affect her by showing up, you know. But, you know, you're young. You're naive. Yeah. I just wanted information. You're self-centred. And so it was all about me. So we had this meeting. It was nice, short, blonde, blue-eyed, nothing like me. Mm-hmm. Um But very bubbly and outgoing and friendly it's like I'm shy I'm weird oh interesting um (laughs) we had a good time she came back to our house and then I made the fatal mistake of putting on baby videos so Mm -hmm. my parents had taken lots and lots of videos and I just thought I'll show that you know she she, I want to fill in the gaps of what she missed out on like I wasn't feeling any trauma at that stage and so But I had no awareness at all of how triggering that would be for her. And she couldn't handle it. She booked herself a taxi and left. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was my first experience. And then I left and I went to Thailand. We kept in contact through letters. I came back three years after for a furlough and I met my sister then and my brother. So my half-sister, half-brother uh our we both my sister when I found my mother was actually in Egypt had done a science degree um teaching English like I was doing and um very interesting that there was that similarity and she'd never had a sister um but I met her she had she had a son literally 18 no actually they're about nine months apart in age she had hers over in Egypt I had mine over in Thailand It was lovely, but then I went back again. So because I wasn't around, it was very hard to build any sort of relationship. Um, And then in the year 2000, um, I got a call when I was in Thailand that my mother had passed away. My adoptive mother had suddenly had a heart attack and passed away. And so I had to get on the plane, come home. You know, I rang rang, uh, my first mother and told her that you know my mother had passed away and she said do you want me to come down for the funeral and it was like I said to her I can't I can't like I've told literally only my husband he's the only person in my life that knows I was adopted I can't have you showing up and saying how do you know Tracy because I had my world was not and I, and I it was all about my mother at that time who had passed and how much I missed her because I was so close and and I felt like dealing with her as well as my mother, I couldn't do it. And so I, I said respectfully, no, I don't think it's the right time. I'll contact you afterwards. And then a, a week later, she called me and she said, oh, actually it wasn't her, it was her next boyfriend who, or her partner who called me and said, look, I'm John and you know, I, I'm, I'm a partner of your mother and I, your mother just can't see you anymore. She just wants to break off contact. So I just lost my mother and now my first mother was breaking contact. It was just, it was actually heartbreaking. Mm. And so I went back, I actually, we actually moved back to Australia to be with my adoptive father at that time. He lived with us um, in our house because of his own trauma of being in an orphanage. I just felt I couldn't just leave him. Um, And so yeah, he lived with us and there was a lot going on and, yeah, that was hard. So I had met my sister and had a bit of a relation with my sister and I would go to Sydney once a year for a conference and so we would make a time periodically over the years to catch up. But, I mean, you can't have a sisterly relationship with a once-a-year meeting. It's, I think in the adoption sphere they use the word familiar strangers and I think when you first start this journey, these people you see a familiarity but you have absolutely no history Mm -hmm. you don't know them and so I couldn't really build anything so um yeah just I went through that period I, I had more children I had a premature baby and basically had no family support at all um you know we were leaving a church and all that sort of stuff
0: So, um, Tracy, just like me, you waited about 20 years before beginning your search for your father. Why the gap? So because when um, I received
1: my original birth certificate, he was not named. Um, there was just a couple of identifying details there that he was Dutch, tall, uh, was an aeronautical engineer, studying in aeronautical engineering at university, um and lived in Mount Eliza so I actually had a location but that's it and so because of this kind of genetic connection to my father because I look like my father even the first day I met my mother I said oh who's my father and she goes oh I can't really remember his name he was a medical student at Melbourne Uni And she wouldn't give me any information. And so over the years, you know, I I also met my aunt, my mother's sister once or twice. And I asked her, I said, can you get the information out of my mother? And nothing forthcoming. And so I, I remember I studied at Melbourne Uni and I remember walking around looking, thinking, maybe he's here, maybe he's a lecturer. I even went to the medical records at the medicine department and looked at the year I was born and, Look for some Dutch. I mean, it sounds crazy, but I'm I'm searching, right? But I've got nothing to search with. It doesn't so, sound
0: crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we all have stories. <laughs> I know.
1: And so, but then when I found out at the age of 45 that there was this thing, and it was the first time I found out about it you know, direct to consumer DNA testing. I thought, great, I'm going to do it. Like no questions asked. I I, I did genetics at uni. I, I know that that's a surefire way of finding him.
0: It's been uh, a game changer, hasn't it?
1: It has. Yeah. And so I went with um, Ancestry, you know, the most common uh, DNA site here in Melbourne and it's promoted widely. Spit in the tube, sent it off. So hopeful. I remember I remember the time when I got my results back it's like okay I'm going to find my dad and then um, nothing just all I got was fourth cousin matches which is virtually impossible to trace anything from distance and so kept trying every night trying to look trying to get a name and a connection and, and, and there was just nothing and so I did that for about six months or so, kept searching. And then I heard that you can upload your results to other websites. And so I uploaded my results to my Heritage, And then I also did another DNA test with 23andMe. And so I thought, right, okay, now I'm on all the websites. I'm going to find him. Again, third and fourth cousin matches, just names that didn't make any sense, didn't know, you know, I could trace my mother's side quite easily I could see where that came from I was building a family tree around her side but the other ones I just you know to find a father and all of that was just too hard so that was hard you know I was staying up late doing research and, and getting nowhere but uh, the breakthrough came actually very close to now would you believe four years ago um, I was sitting with my mother-in-law the day after Mother's Day got an email you have a 14.3% match. This person could be your first cousin, your great uncle, and a few other options. It's like, oh, my goodness, I, I've i got something. I've got something of significance. And that came from the my heritage website, not Ancestry. And so immediately, obviously, I wrote and I found out that um, this girl had done a DNA test for her brother for his 18th birthday thinking that there could be some aboriginal ancestry in in their line and that's why she did so she had done this dna test and so i as you do stalked the family on facebook didn't i and what did i find well that they come from the mornington peninsula mount eliza area there is a bit of dutch heritage I look at them, I look at the pictures and I go, oh, my goodness, I can see something of the hazel eyes, brown hair of me in them. It's them, right? Mm -hmm. Now, who is it? So I look up and I I find this brother of someone in the family who's a bit of a bikey with tats and it's like, oh, maybe that's (laughs) him. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just I don't have any one like that I, I I'm you know I'm not I I don't have that kind of background but it could be him and that's fine I mean I'm just so I'm just really really want to meet him you know at this stage and so it took about three or four weeks of emailing to and fro um to this girl who turns out to be my cousin um, and finally I I sent her a photo I said here's a photo of me just before when I got the DNA results." And that's when she responded and she goes, Okay, I'll ask my uncle. (laughs) (laughs) Not the one, not the bikey uncle. Um, but he she thought it could be another uncle. But she goes, But he would have only been 16 at the time. So it doesn't kind of make sense, but I'll reach out to him and ask. And so she did. And immediately, um I gave I gave her my contact details. Immediately, I, I get a text back from my father who says, yeah, I remember your mother. I would like to meet. Was it a text or an email? It was an email. I would like to meet you. Can we meet this Saturday? Oh, wow! You know, I, you know, I had a feeling she could have been pregnant at the time because she disappeared quickly on me. Let's make a time to meet. And so um, I show up really, really early like an hour early because I am so nervous that this is you know my father was kind of the figure I was looking for all my life you know because I had such a really not that I decried the relationship with my mother I have a great relationship with my mother today as well but it was like I had that growing up I didn't have that that sort of benevolent loving father growing up and so I was so nervous went to the coffee shop I was shaking and met him and we had a good couple of hours but you know the adoptee and me felt you know we're afraid of rejection and so you know after about two hours I just thought oh you know he's probably getting bored with me and he's not enjoying this and so I'll just make an excuse and go even though I had the whole day to spend and um, you know later on I found out he said you know you left so quickly why did you do that? And it was like, man, it was a lot to take in. But as we were walking back to our cars, we were both walking really, really fast. And I went, yep, now I know where I got that from. You know, (laughs) he talked about how he played football. He was a sports nut and my son's a sports nut. Um, How he, he's a chemistry teacher. My best subject at school was chemistry. I did biochemistry (laughs) at uni. You know, he loves speaking and public speaking. I always loved public speaking. Look, there were just so many commonalities. It was like that was really where I felt like I had finally found myself. And so, you know, Nancy Verrier's book, Coming Home to Self, was so so true of my experience with my father's side of the family. You know, in, in, in reunion, you know, it's such potluck. You just don't know what you're going to get. And I am so grateful that my father's side and my mother's side, both sides of the family, have been so accepting of me. Um, it's just made it easier. But my heart goes out, you know, to those that are struggling. And I did struggle. I struggled for 20 years. And it, it's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, to and, and even with my my great situation, it was hard. I'd, I'd go to family events feeling like an outsider. I I have a, a grandmother as well. My My father's mother is still alive and she's 90. And, you know, she's been so accepting and embracing of me. In fact, she said, if I'd known, she was pregnant with my uncle at the time, they had five kids. And she said, you know, if we'd known, we would have taken you in, we would have raised you. But, you know, you can't look backwards. But that's sad. Like, what would my life be like if I had this wonderful family growing up you know that um but you know I go to a house and you know I look at all the photos and I'm not there so you know I I I did something to fix that I I sent her a picture of her and me on Mother's Day you know the first year that we got to know each other and now she's put that up
0: in her house so now I'm there so uh yeah so there you go <laughs> oh it's beautiful um, has there been any change in your relationship with your mother you said that you know she stopped yeah. contact for a while yeah so
1: when I found my father I at that stage in my life I knew I needed support in this journey and I hadn't had support up till then I, honestly even at the age of 45 I had talked to nobody about being adopted And so I heard about Vanish in Victoria and how they support people that were adopted and and all members of the adoption triad. And and so as soon as I found him and had met him once, I I rang up and I made an appointment with a counsellor there and had a a really, it was fantastic just to get that support. I had never been to counselling up until that point um but it was fantastic to get someone who was adoption competent who could talk to me about my experience and on that meeting I said look I found my father now should I write to my mother and let her know I feel I need to I feel I have a responsibility to let her know I don't know how to write this letter and so she helped me draft a letter and um and and I was a part of a support group. I started going very regularly to their support groups where we could talk about things and they were massively helpful to me. You know, like I was afraid to reach out to my father after that first meeting to invite him to a concert my daughter was having at the National Theatre. And I thought, oh, it's too soon, it's too much. And and they said, and the counselor said to me, That's fine. You can only just do it. Just do it. And so I did. And he And he was so happy to come. He was, and he got to meet my adoptive father on that night. And and so it was so helpful navigating everything. So I wrote this letter to my mother. Obviously a big shock for her that, you know, her secret was out because she had secrets and adoption is all about secrets, isn't it? And um, she wrote back to me a fairly you know uncomfortable letter but a very comprehensive letter she just let out the whole story it was an email not letter um she let out the whole story of her going into a home and and everything that happened and how she found out she was pregnant and how my father was only 16 she found out my father was 16 she was 18 at the time and so you know I understand you know, her not wanting to talk about it because of that age difference and the shame of it all and everything. And so got the letter back and then she we agreed to start going slow, text. She said, how about I just text you? And so we send texts to each other and then the texts get longer. And then a couple of months down the track, it's like, how about we make a phone call? So I had my first phone call to her and um that was lovely and we started talking regularly and then I was going up to Sydney for my regular conference in the middle of the year and I said can I meet you and she agreed but then she pulled out at the last minute and I understand why it was just too much for her because I know what it's like not getting support I was getting supported at the time she was not getting supported with everything that she's gone through in her life and and it was too much for her so we went back to calling regularly and all of that and in the meantime, she was working behind the scenes with my family who, you know, she had only met Matthew when he was two, <laughs> but she called my family and um, she heard I, I was having my 50th birthday and we were going on a cruise and she hatched this plan to go on the cruise with us. Oh, wow. So there I am. Uh, They tried to hide it from me and everything. You know, we go on the cruise, breakfast in the morning of my birthday. She's sitting at a table and she's just waiting there for me. And I knew who she was after the initial shock. And I burst into tears, hugged her. She goes, I'm here because I'm saying this time I'm here. This is my grand gesture. I'm not running away this time. And there was a 10 day cruise all around the South Pacific. You know, like she couldn't get out. She was going to go with her sister, but her sister pulled out at the last minute. So she was there by herself. Very brave of her to do that. And I'm very grateful. And we had a great time. And that really, that really broke the ice. Like Mm -hmm. that really broke the ice. My kids just embraced her immediately. Like I have three kids, you know, they're now 26, 23, and 17. But they embraced her because. I lost my more adoptive mother when they were young. They didn't have a grandmother. They didn't, you know, and so they just loved her to bits and embraced her and And we had some very significant moments on that cruise. We watched Mamma Mia too. I know not a great movie to watch because it's all about, you know, getting pregnant unexpectedly. But on the other thing, you know, she turned to me at that end scene and she said, do you forgive me? And I say, of course I forgive you. I understand that you'd had no choice back then, you know, it was not done to raise a child on your own. And, and I was able to offer her forgiveness. And then we had a big Beatles tribute show and we sang Hey Jude together. And it was just a wonderful experience. And so, you know, I, I am so grateful that my mother did that for me. Um, And my father's side, like I said, have just been incredibly embracing of me just my father's just, just been there if I, if I need him to come. Oh, and two weeks into finding him, he said, I want to get on your birth certificate. I want yeah. to be put on your birth certificate. And uh, I said, really? Okay. I'd, I'd, I hadn't even thought about that. Mm-hmm. And so I had to do a $500 DNA test and approach birth, Deaths, and marriages um and get it done it was quite disappointing because when I went to birth deaths and marriages the person that served me was an adoptee and she said to me why would you want to do that you have your family and it's like I want my father on my birth certificate I've been told it can be done it can be done I don't think you can do it go speak to your supervisor so that was frustrating because I knew it could be done and that was a less so I've I've since explained this in a submission Vanish has made two birth deaths and marriages to handle adoptees better and train their staff better. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, I got it done. He's on my birth certificate, but when I got my birth certificate, it still said cancelled, not an official birth certificate. So there's still a lot that needs to be done to support adoptees and to hear the experienced adoptees. Mm. I think that, you know history has always stood on the side of the adoptive parents and how lucky you are and how grateful you are and I am not unhappy about my childhood I had the best childhood I am not unhappy that my adoptive parents raised me but the secrecy and the not knowing who I was has had damaging impacts on my life and you're probably aware that Victoria is um, going to be offering a, a redress scheme for adoptive mothers, which is.
0: Biological mothers, yeah. Yeah,
1: biological yeah. mothers. Yeah. Sorry. That's <laughs> all right. <laughs> biological mothers. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it has been such a long time coming because they have suffered so much trauma and so much. They've gone through so much. But I still think science has not caught up with the fact that. We have our own trauma as adoptees, and so as I'm going through this process, I'm starting to, to become the angry adoptee now, which is not something I I was growing up. But there's a there's an anger in me. There's a there's a feeling like I want to help my adoptive community break through in this area and have people recognize what we really went through, because I still think there's a lack of recognition of you know, despite having a fantastic experience growing up, there is still an awful lot of trauma that we've experienced.
0: Yeah. Is that um, one of the reasons behind you wanting to um, research adoption and trauma in the future?
1: Yeah, definitely. I look, I was, I I love Nancy Verrier's books. I was starting to read all these adoption books and learning about it on my own and then when COVID hit and I was in Melbourne and I was locked down I forever (laughs) forever. oh that was trauma trauma. um you know I had discussed with my sister which by the way um I haven't even talked about my relation with my sister but in a nutshell once I fix things in my mother and my father I then went and spoke to my sister and I said I I gave her a birthday card worked really hard to give her a really good one and wrote in that let's be sisters because she had never had a sister she had been told about me at the age of 14 actually for which I'm very grateful that my mother did that but I said let's just let's just really work on being sisters and so that was a year into finding my father and it's we have it's it's taken work it is work reunion is hard work but if you're willing to just put yourself out there and risk rejection the rewards are so wonderful and I would say that to any adoptee listening right now There is so much you need to push through that's in here, that's in in you, rejection. What if they don't like me? What if I upset people? You know, adoptees can either be the naughty adoptees or the fawning adoptees. I'm the fawning adoptees. I'm the people pleaser adoptee. I do everything for everybody. I think about everybody else. And I've learned through this experience that I have a right, I have a voice to do something for me. And so it was hard, but now we're great. I spoke to her this morning. I told her that I'm doing this interview, and you know, and and it was so wonderful that we actually I can say now we have a sisterly relationship, and and that we go to each other, you know, when we have needs in our life, and we talk every week, and I fly up there when she needs me, and and that's wonderful. But anyway, I, lockdown happened, and. I'd been toying with the idea, should I go back to uni and do psychology? And I thought, okay, well, it won't hurt. I'll just do one subject. So I enrolled in UNE, Bachelor of Psych Science, got a bit of credit for my previous studies and loved it. And right through my undergraduate, I was able to write papers on adoption, for which I'm very grateful, and learn about maternal separation, which I do believe has effects and write about it. And so I finished, I, I lost my adoptive father last year in the middle of lockdown number six, really struggled. I would say I was depressed then. And at the same time, I was doing four subjects to try and get through as quick as I could because I'm not getting any younger and my grades took a slight dip. And so I didn't quite get into the unis I applied for, except for University of Tasmania and Launceston. So here I am right now I've moved here for nine months away from my family which maybe is not a bad thing because it's giving me a chance to heal from last year and you know everything I've been through and doing my honours degree which is the next step into becoming a clinical psychologist and I'm hoping that next year when I get into masters that I will be able to research this topic of adoption trauma. Um, I was in a support group a couple of weeks ago and They were talking about you know the findings from the forced adoption inquiry in Victoria, and they were saying they found trauma effects for mothers, but they have not found trauma effects for adoptees, and that's the reason why they're not offering a redress. Well, that's one of the reasons. And so for me, you give me a challenge like that. It's like okay, I want to do all that I can to potentially try and find something there. And so you know. yeah, that's, that's my aim, to give back now. So I'm making a midlife career change. Um, I've worked as a pastor for 30 years, but now I feel the second half of my life, I really want to serve the adoption community. Um, I have already helped someone here in Tasmania through Relationships Australia get a support group. To help start a support group in Burnie, I would love to try and do something here in Launceston, a uh, support group for adoptees um, while I'm here. And um, who knows what's ahead, but I'm just, I'm, I know who I am. I, I know that science is a part of me and it's not something that I really knew back then. I mean, my sister even did a science degree, so I've got it on both sides. My mother was a nurse. And it's so,
0: <laughs> it's... Um, out of the DNA. Yes. And, you know,
1: I, I just feel so grounded in who I really am. Um, you know, I talked about being an introvert. My mother's a massive introvert, uh, extrovert, sorry. And I, and I asked my friends at school, I said, do you think I'm an introvert and extrovert? She said, you're an extrovert. It's like, I never thought I was. I feel like adoption messed up with my self image such that I wasn't really living my true self and I it's so freeing right now to just be me and -hmm. to feel like I have a voice and I know where I've come from I also got diagnosed with breast cancer four years ago just after I found my my father and it was the first time I walked in and I and they said, Do you know your family history in terms of cancer? And they went, and I went, Yes, I do. There's no cancer. <laughs> it's like, Oh, well, we've found something. So it fortunately was very early stage. And because of my adoption, I was always very d- diligent getting my mammograms. So any women listening to me get those mammograms. They found four lumps so small so tiny that they I think they wrote about me in medical journals but they were able to remove them and do radio no chemo and all good but yeah that was another thing I went
0: yeah so it's been a big four years it is a big thing to be able to um say you know some of your medical history I remember when my son was 13 he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and they were asking questions about is there a family history and you're more you know we're talking direct family mm. and normally I'd be going oh I don't know I don't know but I had contact then with both my mother and my father and I was able to ring and quickly ascertain that no there was no genetic um, yes so it was just he was just really unlucky
1: yes. um,
0: but it was really a nice feeling to be able to make those calls and yeah. and be able to give that information yeah yeah
1: so look, I would say to any adopted person listening right now who is is going, should I do something? Should I open up the Pandora's box? Which it is. It is mm-hmm. a Pandora's box. What is behind that door? There could be anything behind. And that I don't think door. there's
0: anything scarier than looking into that abyss without knowing. It takes know. a lot of you gotta have a lot of courage to do it.
1: All I can say is knowing is fantastic, just for your sense of self, even if what you find is less than. It's still so healing, in my opinion. So I would say take the risk, be kind to yourself, get some support, connect with Jigsaw, Vanish, Relationships Australia, whoever the forced adoption support agency is in your state. Get some support, but it you will come through to the other side just feeling really grounded, and it will give you a, a massive gift. Yeah. yeah.
0: Look, Tracy, thank you so much for your um, time today and for sharing your story with us. It's been wonderful and I've loved talking to you. And I know that hearing your story is going to help others. So thank you so much.
1: No problems. It's my pleasure, Joe. Thank you for having me.
0: And uh, thank you to our listeners for joining us. Meanwhile, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? If you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form that you'll find there. And note that Adopt Perspective can be listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com. And you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll free 1800 210313. Or you can call Jigsaw on 07 3358 666. If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the forced adoption support service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption.